We'll be turning all the way back to the book of Exodus this morning. Exodus chapter 14, we'll begin in verse 1. A little background information, of course. Up to these chapters, we have read about the children of Israel who were in uh, captivity in the land of Egypt. Uh, all started out pretty well. Then after a couple of generations, the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrews, and the Hebrews were in bitter bondage and hard slavery and unreasonable conditions that they had to face. Then, of course, came Moses and the plagues, and the Egyptians thought it best to let these people go if they were going to survive as a nation because of the plagues that have come through. Uh, and it, it says a little bit later on in the passage of scripture that we read that it was told to the king of Egypt that the children of Israel had fled. Well, he was, of course, aware of that because he had told them to go. Obviously, the implication here is perhaps he thought they would just go a little ways and decide to come back. They had been gone long enough to where the Egyptian people realized it wasn't a good idea for all of this labor force to go. Uh, and they were about to go away. Uh, and, and one of the verses of scripture sound like it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Probably happened over a period of time where they realized a lot of work was going undone because the Hebrew people, the ones who were actually making the country go, had left. And so they realized they didn't have enough labor force. Things were going undone. It was too hard work for them to want to do. So they're going after the children of Israel, the Hebrew people. And that's where we pick up uh, the action in chapter 14 of Exodus. Would you stand as we read? Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. The heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots and all of the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them and the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and took, overtook them camping by the sea by Pi-Hiroth before Baal-Zephon. And the Pharaoh drew near and the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, did you, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other. So the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. It made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for history. We know that this is your story. And Father, we know that this story has something for us to learn. And this applies to us. We ask that we would grasp these lessons, that you would speak to our hearts because we need to hear from you today. And we know that you can apply whatever we're in need of. So Father, touch our hearts, speak to us today, take full control of this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The crossing of the Red Sea, if you've ever gotten a map and looked at the Holy Land and see where the children of Israel were, then we have the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is quite a big body of water. And of course, scholars and skeptics and critics of the Bible would say, well, there's no way the children of Israel would have gone that far south to the Red Sea. Well, the exact location of the crossing is unknown of where they went to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is, is a big body of water, but it narrows down to the Gulf of Suez northward, and that narrows down to a, a smaller body of water all the way up to the Mediterranean Sea. So we understand this event was somewhere in the extreme upper region because as you look at the details of the journey, they had just gotten out of the land of Goshen. The names of these events, of course, are listed here, but they were the names of these places, but they were small, obscure places in the wilderness. Just by the word of the text, we knew they were in the wilderness. So the exact location is quite unknown. The text does give us some details that will counter the skeptics. And it clears up some false claims about this event because people love to do nothing better than try to explain away the work of God that it really wasn't the work of God at all. And the first explanation to try to explain this away is this really was just a swampy region that they went on and a shallow area, maybe just about knee deep. And they just kind of waded across on a concealed sandbar. However, there's 
two words in the Hebrew language that are quite distinct. One is the word for a marsh or a swamp. And the other word is the word sea for a large, deep body of water. The text is quite specific in the Hebrew. The word sea is used, not swamp, not marsh, not just wet place, but the word sea is used, which denotes everything that we would think about as a large, deep body of water. Well, the Stepius would say, aha, we see that east wind is mentioned here. And what this was, was a concealed sandbar. And the east wind just more or less just drove the water away from this sandbar. And yes, it was exposed. And yes, it was dry land. But, you know, they just kind of waded across on this sandbar or it just was exposed. And the dry ground was just the fact that this very shallow water was driven back just a little bit. Well, there's a problem with this. Number one. The text clearly says the water was driven back and it was a wall on the right side and the left. The word wall is specific. The word wall is the same word that is used for a fortified city. Now, a fortified city does not have a knee-high wall around it. It has a wall that is as high as you could possibly make it. That's the word that is used. There's another problem here if we want to try to explain this away. People say, well, we're looking at just about knee-deep water that was driven back, and then, of course, the, the wind just passed over it and let these people pass over it, and then the wind came back and the water closed up, and then you're telling me then the entire Egyptian army was drowned in knee-high water. You see, there's a problem with trying to explain all of that away, and the text gives us specific details. This was a sea. This was a large body of water on the upper end of, this, uh, of, the, sea of, of the Red Sea in the Gulf of Suez. This was deep enough where you could never have gone through it without some sort of divine intervention. And that's important as we look at some of these events that, that go on and the application and the lessons through life. The first lesson we, we must realize is the journey of the Hebrews out of bondage into the promised land provides pictures of the trials and blessings of the journey through life. Uh, several years ago through the summer, I remember looking at the journey through the wilderness and looking at the epic road trip of Moses and the children of Israel. You know, you think it's an adventure to get 30 kids on a bus and go down into the deep end of the heart of Texas for a few days? Can you imagine Moses with all of these people for 40 years having to pack up and move around? This was quite a journey. And on that journey, we, we learn a lot of things about life and about why God wants us to live life. The start of this journey provides some of the most telling messages for us to think about. First of all, as they were at this particular point in this wilderness, they could look back at the path behind them. And we all have a path behind us. They looked back at the path behind us and it was well known, really too well known. They really understood all the details of the path behind them. That's the whole reason for this. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 14, Moses sums it all up. And the Egyptians made the life of the Hebrews bitter with hard bondage. And they forced them to serve with rigor. 
It was hard. It was bondage. It was labor. And the word that is used there is bitter. They saw what was going on behind them. And it was a path of regret and hurt and pain. But also, there were promises as well. And in this passage of scripture that precedes this, if you back up to chapter 13, verse 19, there's a detail here, but you don't want to miss this. Chapter 13, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. This is a summary of Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, where Joseph said, God will visit you, and he'll carry you out of this land to the land that he promised to my generation three generations ago. He promised to Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget Joseph. Joseph still remembered the promise that was promised three generations ago. And he reminded the children of Israel, you'll leave this land and you'll go to the land that he promised us. And when you go, I want you to carry my body and bury it in the promised land. Now this instruction was remembered. So we realized 430 years later, 430 years later, when they made the move out of Egypt, they remembered that promise because they had to carry the bones of Joseph with them. And that instruction was given with the promise. So they had the path behind them, which was pain and regret, but also they had the path behind them, which was promises for a better future. Both should provide motivation for them to move forward. Both of these provided motivation because Joseph said, you'll leave this place and you'll enter into the land of promise. That was the promise. You'll enter that land. So as they went out, they had the path behind them, but they also had the path before them. And the path before them was totally unknown. All they knew was the promise. You'll get there. That's all they knew. All they knew was the promise that the nation would be transplanted from this place to the next place. Since it was totally unknown, they must fully rely on the direction of God. Now, God would use two main methods for giving them direction. The first of all, the cloud and the visible presence of God. It says in chapter 13, verse 21, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, as so to go by day and night. He did not take the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He had a very visible way to lead them. It was a column of a cloud or smoke or a column of fire by night. And he said, God used that to lead the way. But he also used something else that's a lot more familiar to us today. And that is the inspiration of his word to his man. 
the very first past verses that we read, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Did you catch that? The Lord spoke to Moses. That's inspiration. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel. We have that exact same method to lead us today. The first five books of the Bible come from Moses. God spoke to Moses. In the book of uh, 2 Peter, he is very clear. It says, the word didn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration. You see, the road was unknown to them. They didn't know the path that they should take, and they didn't know the directions. They didn't know a lot of the ways they would accommodate this wilderness. This was all brand new to them. But what we do know is this. God spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke to them. God spoke to the writers of this book, and this book speaks to us. And yes, we are just like the children of Israel in that the path before us is totally unknown. We have no idea what will happen this week. We think we know what might happen and what probably will happen. But we really don't know exactly what we'll face this week or the upcoming year. They must fully rely on the direction of God. They must fully have to deal with seemingly impossible obstacles. I mean, this started out from the very start. He didn't ease them into the challenges, did he? They've got this obstacle in front of them, and that's one portion of the Red Sea that's in for, before them. They've got this obstacle in front of them, and they have to rely on the provision of God and the protection of God. The upcoming year is no different. Some of our families are already aware of the seemingly impossible obstacle that's before you. Medical conditions. Don't know exactly what's coming, but you know there's a challenge. Maybe there's another personal issue. Maybe it has to do with a career. Maybe it has to do with something else. When I say an obstacle, a challenge, your mind went there because you know, you know enough to know that's coming. They could see the obstacle in front of them. Some, of course, will surprise us. We look back, of course, on 2017, and some people said, I, I never saw that one coming. Things happened, challenges, tragedies, never saw it coming. Problems, complications, never saw it coming. And you see, it's the same way with the upcoming year. Obstacles will come where we have to fully fully rely on God because there is no other resource and we don't have enough to overcome the obstacle. So we have the path behind us and we have the path before us and both paths meet in a very small window of time that's called today, this moment. The path behind us, the path before us, we know how long the path behind us is. We don't know how long the path before us is, but we do know we have today. To live successfully in this moment, we must avoid expending our energy and attention wishing to go back to the path behind. Sometimes people want to go back to the path behind because times have gotten a little bit tough. 
or things have changed in our life and we spend some time looking back to the good old days. We want to enjoy the good again. There's nothing wrong with being thankful for the good days and times gone by. But if we expend too much energy wishing that things would return to the way they were, a lot of times we miss the responsibilities of right now. Case in point, I didn't. a lot of times we think of old people that look back on the good old days. And I experienced the problem with this when I was in junior high school. Uh, when I was in junior high school, about the third day into the semester, we're talking about the middle of August, we're going back to school, three days into school, and it's right after lunch, and I think I'm in civics class, and junior high kids don't like civics. None of them do. So I'm sitting in civics class, and the, and the teacher, no doubt, has given me some very important information that I'll need to know to successfully pass a test. I don't know of any other use for civics information except to pass the test. So the teacher is trying to teach the information. Well, you know what I'm thinking? Here it is, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a hot August day. I'm looking out the window, and I'm thinking, one week ago, just one week ago, I was still asleep. Because I slept late when I was, I don't know what anybody else does on summer vacation, but I slept late. And I'm sitting there dreaming about one week ago because it was so much better a week ago. I was free. I could sleep late. I could stay up late. It was all good. It was all beautiful. Now I'm in school and I'm serving with bitter and hard bondage. Can some of the junior high kids relate there? It was awful. And all I'm thinking about was what happened back in the summer. Well, you know what happened? I missed some important information. Why? Because I was too busy dwelling in the past. And you see, this is what happened to the children of Israel. You say, how in the world could that have happened? It did happen. It is just quite remarkable. But they're human just like we are. Turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 1. They're going along in their wilderness wandering. This is pretty early on. They had come to really the point of, of, of perhaps crossing over into the promised land. And they realized the challenge was a lot greater than they thought. And they begin to be discouraged and realize this is too big for us. We can't do this. And in chapter 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, listen to this, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said one to another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. What? Return to Egypt? Then we'd already taken a look of what happened in Egypt, but you see, they begin to daydream about how good it was in Egypt. If you go back just a few other chapters to chapter 11, verse 5, just a page or so back. Chapter 11, verse 5. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. 
and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. You see, God had provided them bread to eat in the wilderness. Just supernaturally provided them bread to eat. And they didn't appreciate that. What did they think about? The good old days. The good old days in Egypt. What? The good old days weren't really all that good because if you remember in chapter 1 verse 14 it says that they were serving with bitter bondage. But you see they hesitated to move forward and they looked at the path behind and began to wish for those days of days gone by and tried to enjoy the good again such as it were. But then there's something else and I think we fall into this trap a lot of times. We spend our time dwelling on the path behind, wishing a thousand times over we could go back and do something different and undo a mistake. William Barclay, Greek scholar, he said this way, one doesn't have to live long at all before wishing to have just one hour back to do something different. And I think we all can look back and say, I wish I'd done something different. I wish I'd have made a, a better decision. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't have said that. We all have that. And the thing is, the path behind us is behind us. And as, as many times, as a thousand times I could wish I could go back and do it over again and do something different, I can't. All I have is today. I think there's the words of a song. I can't, I can't express them verbatim, but it's, Lord, make me today the man that I wish I could have been back then. I can't go back and change the person I was back then. I can change the person I am right now. And if I'm going to live successfully in this moment where the path before us and the path behind us meet, then I have to realize the past is past and I must move forward with a reliance on God. God showed the Hebrews that going back was now impossible. Standing still is not possible. You know, sometimes we wish that everything would stop and we just get off the world for a while. We can't do this. The Egyptian army was closing in fast and they were mad. And the sea was in front of them. They had no choice but to move forward, and so do we, have no choice. We must move forward to the upcoming year. But here's a beautiful truth that we want to close with, and this is some theology. The theology of the Red Sea is this. From this day on, they could move forward without fear from the greatest enemy that they had faced up to now, and that's the Egyptian army. How, how could that happen? Well, let's continue reading in... Exodus chapter 14. And we continue reading in verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea and all the Pharaoh's horses as chariots and horsemen. It came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down from the, from, upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back on the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. When the morning appeared and the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it, 
and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. Now, how does that apply to us? How, how does that all apply to us, that horses and chariots and all of this being folded up in the middle of the Red Sea? How does that apply? It applies when you find a passage of scripture in a small prophet called Micah, Micah chapter 7. If you want to turn, this would be some good verses to underline and to remember. Remember, that that was the greatest threat, that that was the deadliest to them, that that would interfere with their uh, forward progress and could kill them where they stood, that had now been submerged into the depth of the sea. How does that apply to us as we move forward through life? Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities and will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. Did you catch what he said? That which causes us the greatest threat, our sins that could kill us for eternity, he has cast all those into the depths of the sea, just like the Egyptian army. It was covered up. And through Jesus Christ, through forgiveness of sins, our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. We can move forward with hope because that which is the most dangerous, God has dealt with through Jesus Christ and cast our sins into the depths of the sea and covered it all up and covered it up. That is how complete his forgiveness is. The psalmist said it this way in Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, God's removed our transgressions from us. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. You see, there's no way we'll ever go forward through life with hope until the Egyptian army's done away with. There's no way we can ever go forward through life with confidence until our sin is dealt with. And that's a God-sized job. The children of Israel we're unable to deal with this army by themselves. And we're unable to deal with the penalty of sins by ourselves. But God, through Jesus Christ, takes care of that. Therefore, despite whatever else may come their way, they never had to worry about death from the army again. And we don't have to worry about death from sin when we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We're thinking about the upcoming year. I don't know what you'll face. I don't know what I'll face. But I do know this. We need the direction of God. And we need the provision of God for obstacles like never before. But thanks to God, he gives us the promises in his word. We've got that. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, whatever you might need to be dealing with, maybe a burden, a hurt, a sorrow, a challenge, an upcoming opportunity for you, and you need to talk to God, you need some serious help, this is the time, this is the place to make those decisions and to say those prayers. As we stand and sing, what number? Number 105, 105.